Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are excited to be here this morning. Um, we are, this is Let's Get Growing. I'm just Antoine, and we are excited that um, we've uh, entered the day of 20, part B, praise, praise God, part two. Uh, on yesterday, we were supposed to play one video, but we end up playing a different video instead. And so we want to come back and uh, give the um, the next video in the series. And so we don't want to skip a part, but we are excited. Uh, we know that uh, God doesn't make mistakes. Amen. Somebody needed to hear that message again. And so we, we were able to share that. And so God is uh, truly a awesome God. He's worthy to be praised. You know, I was, I was just celebrating him this morning on um, just how wonderful that he is and how that he, has uh, everything already planned out and his thoughts toward us are always pleasant and never evil um, that he may bring us to an expected end. So uh, I, I'm just glad to be on the Lord's side. I'm glad that we have this opportunity to grow as men uh, together and and to you know seek the Lord for healing and and guidance and everything that we need to be successful. You know there. God has made that available to us. Uh, I like the scripture that says that um, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace in a time of need. So when we need something, we can go to God, we can go to the throne of grace, amen, and get that which we need, amen, to be successful, to, to uh, take us to that next level, um, to, to get what we need from the source himself, amen. So when Jesus uh, said, Father, it is finished when he was on Calvary's cross, um, the Bible says that the veil was rent from top to bottom, amen, giving us access to the holies of holies, to the throne room of God. So that excites me, amen, and it, it gets me fired up to know that God says that I can have an audience with him whenever, amen, and, and um, you know, sometimes we, we get um, bamboozled by the enemy to thinking that we got to be good to approach God. And, and, and if we, if we uh, are not, uh, if we haven't done everything right or anything, we can't approach God at that time. Well, God said, he said, he, he said in Isaiah, he said, uh, come unto me. He said, he said, and I, uh, he said, though your, he said, and let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, I shall make them whiter than snow. And so he knows our sins uh, and we have sins and they are as scarlet. He says, but I'm going to make them whiter than snow. So that means to me that we don't, sin can't prevent us from going to God. Does it try? Yes, it does try. And, and it, it, it will if we allow it to, but we don't have to allow it to. It's up to us to keep on pressing forward to God because he, he's not going to cast us away. He said, if we come unto him, he will in no wise cast us out. And so that's what excites me. Let us go ahead and get started. We are on uh, uh, volume four, session two, and we're going to see what the Lord has for us today. Praise the Lord.
Hey guys, welcome back. Last session, we looked at the tension surrounding our work, things we all feel, some even on a daily basis, compensation issues, purpose, overworking, underworking, all part of the reality of work. In this session, we'll unveil our biblical blueprint, God's bigger vision for our work and our lives. This is the core of this volume, the foundation that we'll build on in the remaining sessions. This isn't the only thing the Bible says about work, but it is a blueprint, a guide that will help inspire and equip men to live out a God-inspired vision in their work. Yeah, so I'm a musician. I invest money. Uh, so personally, I work, um, I'm on our marketing team. We're small, so I wear a lot of hats. I love music. I've just always, from an early age, been interested in music, been playing music. Just always have felt like that has to be a part of my life. I do it, number one, to make money. I do it because it's intellectually interesting, intellectually stimulating. I can really confidently say it's because God has led me here. I mean, one of my favorite things is um, I get to lead people in worship using my music, using the gifts and talents that God's given to me. I like the fact that I get to learn about almost every business and every asset in the world. So it's mostly the breadth of it that I like. I get to look at everything. I love solving problems. I love bringing order into chaos. And there's so much of that in my job. I've never taken a job in order to make money, so that's not the focus. To me, I, my goal is to make enough money to be able to support my family without really it being an issue, to not have to have a budget, to be able to be generous, and still have some savings. My wife and I, um, we, we, when we talk about money, it's, it really, we try to center that conversation around um, how we can use that to be intentional with that money. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of screwing up, making mistakes. Um, afraid of how other people are going to respond, rejection. Um, so I think that's a big challenge in being a musician because you're, you're laying it all out on the line in, in the words that you're writing and the music that you're writing. The main thing are people challenges. You know, I'm in a judgment business where you have to decide where you're going to put a dollar and it's something that you do as a team and that, you know, reasonable people can, you know, disagree. I'm frustrated with just the day-to-day -day dealing with coworkers. Um, I love my coworkers, but they upset me and <laughs> it's me off sometimes. In the last session, we uncovered some of the tensions that many of us face at work, some even on a daily basis. We talked about what we want out of work and some of the conventional ways we respond when work is not delivering to us what we expected from it. We also looked at some of the different historical eras of work and how they have created tensions. You know, all of us have faced some of those tensions at one time or another. So what do we do with all this? How can it shape how we think about our work? How should we think about work? Well, today, we want to equip you with a God-inspired, gospel-centered vision for your work. We want to give you a blueprint from God's Word that will serve as a guide to help you live out a new vision in your work life. 
Our work is bigger than just a job to be done. We need to see work from God's perspective. Our blueprint will be made up of three parts. First, we're going to explain what it means to have a vocational perspective of work. And second, we're going to look at God's original intention for work when He first created man. Then, in the third part, we'll examine what the life of Jesus, our model for manhood, can tell us about work. Within these three parts, we'll also answer three big questions. What is work? What are we to do in our work? And who are we to be in our work? So let's begin by looking at the concept of vocation and the difference it can make. The conventional view of work is that it's just a job, a paid position of regular employment. Mainly, it's just a means to a paycheck so we can pay our bills. From this perspective, the real goal of life is, well, when we get to stop working and retire. But as you'll learn in this session, from God's perspective, work is more than just a job. It's a vocation. A job is something you have to do, but don't really want to do. But a vocation is so much more. In fact, the Latin origin of the word vocation carries the idea of singling out an individual and calling him to a meaningful endeavor. In other words, a vocation is both personal and purposeful. First, it's personal. It's not for someone else, it's for you. Adopting a vocational perspective means believing that work, your work, is a part of God's plan for your life. A vocation is also purposeful. It's more than just an endless to-do list or the daily grind. It's, it's participating in something bigger, something that God is doing in the world through us. It's part of a grander story in which He has set the stage for us to be who He made us to be and do what He made us to do. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we have been created for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were all made to do good works, and that includes what we do in our work. Through our work, God is inviting mankind generally and you specifically to carry out His purposes on the earth, to be His hands and His feet. It's one of the ways that we fulfill our calling from God to be difference makers in the world, to love our neighbors and to bring glory to God. It's a way for us to bear God's image in the world and to imitate His Son, Jesus. You see, work is so much more than just gainful employment or a necessary evil or only a means to paying the bills. And you, you are more than just an employee or a wage earner. That's just a conventional perspective of work. It's impersonal and it's purposeless. When you adopt a vocational perspective of work, when you believe that your work is a part of God's plan for your life, and a part of His design for you in this world. Well, guys, that is incredibly empowering. It allows you to bring a totally different mindset to work. It, it reshapes everything you do in your work. It's like the story of the three bricklayers. 
All of them were outside working on the same building. A visitor passed by and asked each of them the same question. What are you doing? Well, the first bricklayer replied, I am laying brick. The second answered, I am making a living. But the third said, I am building a cathedral for God and His people. Now, which of those bricklayers connected his work with a grander purpose? Which viewed his job as a vocation, as a calling, as personal and purposeful? Which of the three do you think could more easily work from a place of passion and purpose? Thinking of work as a vocation, well, that's just a game changer, guys. It's, it's no longer just an arbitrary part of your life. Listen to this. One of my greatest passions for the men in my church, the men in the city, really men anywhere, is that they would understand that God has a special and unique purpose for them, and they can find that purpose in their vocations. That no matter how ordinary those vocations seem, they can see that God has a purpose for them in it, and they can step into it and experience His joy and pleasure in it. God does nothing by accident. God has sent you where you are now because that's where He wants you to be, and He wants you to feel His pleasure in the midst of it. We have a ministry partner in South Africa and God's given this man a lot of relationships with very successful men. And he says the constant story, the most consistent story that these men share, and these are men in their 60s, men in their 70s, is that they don't know what happened in the last number of decades. You see, we've all had that experience where a couple weeks go by, a couple months go by, and you have no idea what happened. But these men are sharing in tears oftentimes that they don't know what happened to the last number of decades. Sure, they paid their bills, they raised their kids, but they weren't working with a sense of purpose. They weren't working with a sense of vocation and calling that God had put them in these places. And so they look back and they wonder, where did 30, 40 years go? And, and what does it mean? And what do I do now? But we don't have to work that way. We can go to work tomorrow with a sense of purpose and have a sense of fulfillment and joy in it, knowing that God's called us to do it. You don't have to wait till the end of your life and reflect back and wonder what it was all for. You can know what it was all for now. What it's for is that God is glorified in your work, that, that you do what you do that's creative, you do what you do that's productive because God is creative and productive, because you're an image bearer of God and he's made you to do these things. Your job may seem ordinary to you, but it's not. It doesn't matter what you're doing, whether it's in high finance, whether you're cleaning teeth, whether you're collecting trash, whether you're a delivery man, what you're doing, you're doing now because God's called you to do it. He's gifted you to do it and he's put you in that place. Now you may not do what you're doing now forever, but what you are doing right now has special purpose and significance because God's called you to do it. You wanna know what God's called you to do? Step back and tell me what you're doing right now. It's what God's called you to do. The only question you have to answer is, are you doing it with passion? Are you doing it with purpose? And again, it doesn't matter. You don't have to wait until you get to your dream job to say, then I'm gonna work for God's purpose. No, you can work for God's purpose now. No matter how ordinary your job may seem to you, it's extraordinary in the eyes of God because he's called you to do it and he's an extraordinary God. He's going to accomplish his purposes as you do that vocation, no matter what it is. And it's gonna be glorious because it's gonna to contribute to God's overall plans on this earth. God has given you that call. He's given you that charge. He sent you into that workplace, get this, because he never wants that workplace to be the same because he's sending you there and he's going with you. And he's going to accomplish his great and wonderful purposes through everything that you do. Stand back and think about that. What an incredible privilege we have as men to take up our vocations, to love and to serve God through them 
on this earth in the time that we have to do great and amazing things by doing what seem to be ordinary things. So, this helps us answer the first question of our... Praise God. I just wanted to interject real quick. I remember one time I was um, I was just praying and I heard the Lord say, um, he said, your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men. And but I was asking him questions about education because I was a teacher and and what was my next move? And I said, but God, I'm talking. I'm not talking about ministry. I'm talking about my work. And he said that you separated the two. I haven't. And so it just changed my perspective on how I looked at work. You know, so God looks at it as a part of our ministry, a part of um, using our lives for his glory. You know, the, the Bible teaches us to do everything as unto the Lord, not as men pleasers, right? But we're doing it to please the Lord. And so it's not what we what we do, but it's how we work, right? And then, and it's the most important, of course, what we do is important, but what's most important is how we do it. Are we doing it to the glory of God? Amen. Are we, are we embracing the fact that uh, he has brought us to that, this place at this particular time to do this particular job? Amen. And, and that we do it to the best of our ability, you know? And so if we don't have the right perspective, we definitely have to pray about it and say, God, okay, I'm not seeing this right. I'm not feeling this. Can you help me? You know, my part of my prayer this morning was, you know, help my unbelief, you know, help me get to the place where I believe everything that you have said about me. I believe that you have a plan for me and that plan is pleasant and never evil. And, 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 that's what I believe. And wherever I'm lacking in that belief, I need you to help my unbelief. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's go back into the lesson. Hallelujah. Our blueprint. What is work? Well, it's a vocation. It's part of God's personal and purposeful call on your life. And as you'll see, the vocation God has given mankind is to do something and be somebody. And this leads us to the second part of our blueprint and our second question. What exactly is God calling us to do in our work? To answer that question, we need to examine one of the most important texts for manhood in the Bible. We're going to go back to the very beginning as God was creating the earth and mankind and look at His original intention for work. He makes it pretty clear right there in the very beginning. Now, if you've experienced other volumes of 33, you've probably noticed that the first three chapters of the book of Genesis are extremely important to our journey as men. Well, that's because it's in those first three chapters that we learn so much about authentic manhood. Uh, we learn about man's origin, man's design, man's struggles. We also discover 
two foundational concepts about work. The first thing we learn is that God Himself is a worker, and He modeled work for mankind by creating and cultivating. It's in His work that God set the example for all mankind, and that example is to create and cultivate. We touched on this in the first volume of 33, where we talked about a man and his design. Well, here, we're going to unpack it more from a work perspective. Here's how it unfolds in Genesis. The entire Bible begins this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first thing we see in the Bible is God at work, bringing new things into existence based on His own creativity. In other words, God is the first entrepreneur. He's taking His ideas and making them a tangible reality. He's creating raw materials and ordering and arranging them. This goes on for six days. God creates light, water, land, plants, trees, animals, and mankind. In other words, for God, and the first week in the Bible was a work week. He had a vision and he acted on it. He initiated. He did something for the benefit of others. He worked. But that's not all he did. God also took responsibility for what he created. He didn't just leave creation stranded. He, he put in place an entire ecosystem that was self-sustaining. And then, well, he commissioned Adam. Guys, this is important. He commissioned Adam as his co-worker to care for creation alongside him. God cultivated his work by building an environment where it could flourish, an environment where his creation could be nurtured, where it could develop to its full potential. So what can we learn about work by observing God in the very beginning? We can see that God worked by creating and cultivating for the benefit of others. But Genesis also teaches us something else significant about work. Mankind was made to imitate God's work by creating and cultivating and by helping develop God's world to its full potential. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And God blessed mankind. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Later in Genesis 2.15, we also read that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. In these verses, we see that God's original intention for mankind wasn't for Him to be passive or inactive. From the very beginning, even before Adam disobeyed God and brought sin into the world, God gave man a task and intended him to be active, to be working, to be imitating God Himself. So we see that work is not a curse that God intended as some kind of punishment for Adam's sin, but rather... It is a gift, a gift to man from the very beginning, a gift that was designed to be a part of every man's story. Guys, this is amazing stuff. God doesn't need us to help Him, but He chooses, 
He chooses to invite us in to be His co-laborers. We are made in His image to be like Him and to imitate Him by creating and cultivating. Here's another thing that we need to see from these verses. God has made us stewards over His creation. And we're given the privilege and responsibility of caring for it, bringing order to it, and developing it to its full potential for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. That's what it means to fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. Pastor and author Tim Keller explains it this way. God left creation with deep, untapped potential for cultivation that people were to unlock through their labor. And we're called to stand in for God here in the world, exercising stewardship over the rest of creation in His place as His vice regents. We share in doing the things that God has done in creation, bringing order out of chaos, creatively building a civilization out of the material of physical and human nature, caring for all that God has made. This is a major part of what we were created to be. Work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. Guys, what this means is that your job, your job is a part of God's grand design. His plan to develop this world for the benefit of mankind and for His glory. Your work can be a part of it. You can become the innovative creator and the responsible manager in the domain that has been entrusted to you. No matter what your particular job is, you can perform in such a way that blesses others every day. Understanding work from God's perspective Understanding His call for us to imitate Him helps us to see how our work is a way we can develop the world and make it a better place in such a way that ultimately brings glory to the Creator of it all. According to one author, we can view our work as if God were telling us this, Take this portion of my kingdom. I am making you my steward over your office, your workbench, your kitchen stove, Put your heart into mastering this part of my world. Get it in order. Unearth its treasure. Do all you can with it. We don't labor simply to survive. Insects do that. Instead, God has given each of us a portion of His kingdom to explore and to develop to its fullness. You know, we can see in the first man, Adam, that God gave him a particular job to do. Adam's initial portion of God's kingdom? Well, that was the garden in which God placed him, the Garden of Eden. God asked him to work in the garden and maintain it. That's where he was assigned to create and cultivate during that time of his life. Each of us have our own particular jobs to do in God's world, and we may be entrusted with many different opportunities and many different places and ways over the course of a lifetime, but regardless of where you are occupationally, you can begin to live out this vision of work right now. So, the second part of our blueprint of work centers on God's original intention for it, how He modeled work Himself. 
and how He mandated man to develop the world through work. The phrase to remember is simply create and cultivate. And that's using our God-given time, talents, and resources to bring things into existence and develop, order, and manage them for the benefit of mankind and for the glory of God. It answers the question, what are we to do in our work? And when you do this, whether you're an accountant, an electrician, a trash collector, or a CEO, you are imitating God and living out His original intention for mankind. That should inspire every one of us. Noted author Andy Crouch is going to expand on this a little more. There's this amazing detail uh, that comes out in Genesis 3 uh, before the fall when uh, the man and the woman are in the garden, which is that God walks in the garden in the cool of the day. But at other times, apparently God is not obviously present. And this is actually an amazing idea that the creator of the whole world who's shaped it has now placed human beings in the world, has placed uh, human beings as a whole and, and each of us in the world and now steps back and is seemingly absent because God has entrusted to his image bearers the task of taking care of the world. But, but, uh, but then each of us has to figure out how, where do I fit in this? What part of the world have I been given responsibility over? Because God has actually left me in charge in a way of some part of the world. He hasn't left me alone um, and he's, he's present in another way, but he's not walking around tending the garden. That's the job of his image bearers. And I think where, where the whole story of creation goes and where our role in the image of God is the, the role we're meant to play is to create flourishing. First of all, the flourishing of other people. When I do my work well, other people are able to kind of come alive and be who they're meant to be. But actually, it's not just for other human beings. We're actually meant to make the whole creation flourish. We're meant to take the natural resources that God has created and turn them into beautiful, functional things. Uh, the trees of the garden were good to eat and a delight to the eyes. And the best work is both uh, useful, good to eat, and beautiful, uh, a delight to the eyes. Uh, now, not all work is like this, but work at its best is like this. It leads to flourishing. I think all of us, when we think about our work, quickly think about the limits of our work. We think about all the things we'd like to do but can't, whether because of the rules or the environment of our business, and we quickly can list all the constraints that, that we operate within. It's important to remember, actually, that all work takes place within constraints. That this is not actually something we could ever get away from, but that actually limits can generate creativity. I'm actually freed, freed by these rules because they uh, prescribe a lot of the boundaries. And so I don't have to think about exactly what I'm going to do, but I do have to think about how I'm going to do it. And two people can follow the same sets of rules, but do that job in a very different way, with a very different heart, with very different attitudes toward others. And I actually can see the, the constraints of my job as a chance to focus on other things. I think when a lot of us envision the good life, uh, when we think, what would just be life at its best? We think of leisure, actually. When we think of the good life, we don't think about work. We think about uh, vacation. And I think this is not actually the biblical picture of what we're meant to be. We are made to rest. We are made to just enjoy without having to work. But that's one-seventh of what we're made for. 
and six, six sevenths of what we're made for is actually the joy of, of getting together with other people. It's almost always collaborative, working with other people to actually reshape the world in some way. And you get joy out of that that you would never get out of mere leisure activities. And to bear the image of God is to move out into the world, spot a possibility or something, or indeed something that's broken that needs to be fixed and say, we can actually make a difference here. And that's what gives us real satisfaction. And, and the true satisfaction is having done that. And then, then at the end of a season of that, being able to say, ah, now I did something worthwhile with my week and now I can rest because the real satisfaction is in imaging the, the creator God. So from the first part of our blueprint, we learn to see our work as a vocation that is both personal and purposeful. The second part of the blueprint shows us what to do in our work. We are to imitate God by creating and cultivating. Now, in the third and final part, we're going to discover who we are to be in our work by looking to the life of Jesus, our model for authentic manhood. What does His life teach us about our work? As you'll see, Jesus offers a perspective that complements and enhances the create and cultivate mandate. And He gives us a clear picture of who God wants us to be in our work. Now, the first thing to realize is Jesus came to earth to save us and to be God's perfect image bearer, to provide an example for how mankind is to engage all of life, including our work life. When we think of Jesus' mission on earth, we rightly focus on His sacrifice for us on the cross, that through Him we can be forgiven of all of our sins and adopted into God's family. That's the gospel, the good news, and it's the most powerful truth in the world. It's the foundation of everything we teach about authentic manhood. The gospel is the thread that runs through the entire Bible, and it runs through every volume of 33. But Jesus not only saved us from our sins, in His 33 years on earth, He also gave us an example to follow, an inspiration for how we are to live. Biblical scholar J. Gresham Machen put it this way, Jesus, as a matter of fact, is a brother to us as well as a Savior, an elder brother whose steps we may follow. The imitation of Jesus has a fundamental place in the Christian life. It is perfectly correct to represent Him as our supreme and only perfect example. You see, Jesus calls us not only to believe in Him, but also to follow Him. Over a dozen times in the Gospels, Jesus tells others, follow me. In some of His final moments on earth, He tells His apostles, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This charge is often called the Great Commission. That's because Jesus is commissioning us to be disciples who are also disciple-makers. Hey, do you know what it means to be a disciple of someone? Well, it means to follow in their footsteps, to follow their example. In Luke 14, 33, Jesus said that whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
It's why the Apostle John said that whoever says that he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. It's why the book of Hebrews tells us to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we are to follow Jesus, the example He set for us. But what does that look like with regards to our work? Well, here's the answer and our final point for this session. Jesus set the example for mankind by being a life-giving presence in all areas of His life, including in His work. His first vocation was likely that of a carpenter. He then grew into His ministry roles of teaching, discipling, shepherding, and leading. And while Jesus was doing this work on earth, He blessed others. He labored for peace and justice. He enabled the people around Him to flourish. He was willing to lead and serve for the benefit of others. Now, wherever Jesus went, things got better. Whatever He was doing, people experienced Him as a life-giving presence. Just read through the New Testament, and you'll quickly see that the consistent picture we get of Jesus Christ is that there is always a life-giving energy just flowing out of Him. In 1 Corinthians 15, 46, Paul describes Jesus as just that, a life-giving Spirit. In Acts 20, 35, we learn that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, it is better to be a life-giver than a life-taker. It's why in John 10, 10, Jesus Himself says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So men, as we engage in this abundant life that Jesus offers, well, we follow His example. We try to be a life-giving presence in all that we do, and certainly including our work. It's like C.S. Lewis said, our model is the Jesus, not only the Jesus of Calvary, but the Jesus of the workshop of the roads, and of the demands and oppositions. Now, before we wrap up, we want to give you three powerful ways that we can all be life-givers in our work. First, we can be a life-giving presence in the provision we create for others through our work, generating an income that provides for our family or that could even help others in their time of need. Well, that is certainly being a life-giver. Second, we can be a life-giving presence in the attitude we have in our work. Jesus' attitude of humility as He conducted His work on earth is inspiring and life-giving. We can have an attitude and a mindset that, well, it's just a delight to be around so that our customers, our bosses, and our coworkers look forward to our presence rather than our absence. Third, we can be a life-giving presence in the excellence that we bring to our work. We can perform our jobs with such excellence, such competence, that the quality of our work just makes the world a better place and truly blesses others along the way. Whether it's how we clean a windshield or perform brain surgery or dig a ditch or prepare our team for the Super Bowl. Provision, attitude, and excellence. Those are three ways that we can all be life-givers in our work. Now, as you reflect on this and follow the example of Jesus 
The phrase to remember is life-giving presence. It means being present and dependable and excellent in our work with an attitude of humility for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. So, are you the guy? Are you the guy who just sucks the life out of others? Or are you the authentic man who breathes life into your work and your work environment? Well, guys, you get to choose. Okay, guys, let's wrap it up. In this session, we established our biblical blueprint for work, and within that blueprint, we answered the three key questions. You'll see there in your training guide that we've created an illustration that will help you master our blueprint. What is work? It's a vocation. It's God's personal and purposeful call on your life. What are we to do in our work? We're to imitate God by creating and cultivating. Who are we to be in our work? Like Jesus, a life-giving presence. One of your strategic moves from this session should be to memorize our blueprint, master it, know it in your heart, even be able to share it with other guys. Well, in the next session, we're going to look at the lives of some men in the Bible who embodied this vision of work, who created and cultivated where God placed them, who were a life-giving presence in their spheres of influence. We're going to look at the lives and teaching of Nehemiah and Paul. They provide powerful case studies of men who engage their work with truth, passion, and purpose. Perhaps you have a vision for a new idea at work, or how you can do your work better, or apply your talents differently, or maybe even do a different job. Maybe you're asking, like Nehemiah, if you should take a risk. Work is too big. It's too important a part of life to settle. I've tried to do it my way. Show me what it is you want me to do, and uh, wherever you lead me, I will follow. We need a deliberate process or a plan of action that's going to make success more likely. Authentic men are giving men. They give with no strings attached for the sole purpose of giving life to others. Wow, what a, what a commission that we have as men is to be life givers. Um, and I'm so pumped that um, God has blessed us with uh, insight on work and how that should look. And um, and so we, we can check and do an inventory on how we are actually working. Are we a life giver? Are we a life sucker? <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, we really want to be that life giver. We really want to um, model that you know, what God has placed in our lap to do. And, um, it's just, it's just great. And so, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that God has chosen me to, um, be a catalyst in this venture to get us growing and get us, uh, looking at things from the right perspective and, um, you know, unpacking some things that, has historically held us back and and dealing with those things and, and, and asking God to heal us and, and take us to that next level of ministry and, and work and, and, and loving our family and leading our family to that place where he will have us to be. So again, this is just Antoine. I'm excited about let's get growing, man. Let's keep pushing um, let's be evangelists. If you haven't liked me on Facebook, you need to do that. Um, I have several pages 
Um, also, I, I need you to uh, go on YouTube and like me. You know, I'm, I'm going to do something. Um, I have some oil and I'm going to teach on it a little bit. Um, but those uh, first 10,000 that will like my, fa uh, my YouTube page, I'm going to send them a bottle of oil. All you will have to do is pay for shipping and handling, but I'm going to send you a bottle of oil and you're going to get a choice of the type of oil that you're going to use depending on your need. And so you'll be hearing more about that um, uh, soon, coming soon. So just stay tuned. This is just Antoine. You be blessed and I'll see you at the top. Bye for now.